let's start with a big poll question today. How many of you know at least one person who is a teacher in our community? Know at least one person who's a teacher? Okay, very good. Yeah, if you know even one person who's a teacher, some of you know lots of people who are teachers, uh, I want you to invite that person to come to our Teacher Appreciation Day from any type of school uh, that's in our community, from any city, any community, uh, homeschool teachers, uh, charter school teachers, public school teachers, private school teachers. We just want to invite everybody to thank teachers for what they do. We have a very special day planned for them. Pastor Cole mentioned that inside of your bulletin today, there's a little invite card, and we'll have those available as well uh, out in the lobby today and next week. And so you really be thinking about who you can invite to come and make sure you get uh, your kids to invite their teachers over these next couple weeks. And you never know uh, what that kernel of gratitude will do in that teacher's heart to possibly bring them to church and not just uh, be honored for their mentoring, but possibly to have their lives changed by Jesus Christ. And, and so I hope that you'll do that. I hope you'll be involved and uh, be instrumental in bringing somebody to church on that special Sunday, May 6th. Uh, our Awana Awards are this Wednesday night. Come and cheer on those kids. And uh, we're going to send an email out tomorrow. We need some cookies for the event, okay? And so be thinking about what kind of cookies you're going to make to help out, all right? How many of you, are your, your best cookie that you make, you would have to say is chocolate chip? Chocolate chip, okay. How many of you, it's uh, oatmeal raisin? Macadamia nut? Okay, chocolate no-bake? Okay, I'm right there. Those are my favorite. Uh, what am I missing here? There's a bunch of people who never raised their hand. All right, how many of you, you know somebody in this room who makes really good chocolate chip cookies? Okay, now we got more hands. Uh, macadamia nut. Okay, see, this guy, he knows some people. He knows people. If you need the cookie hookup, go right back there. And, but uh, think about what cookies you can bring to help out. They're going to have a celebration time. Yeah, it's always one of my favorite nights of the year to see what all these boys and girls, starting with three years old, have done in their relationship with the God of heaven and have learned scripture and have really begun to apply it in their lives. And we have some who are graduating out, going from fifth grade to sixth grade. And I'm telling you, they have done some amazing, amazing things. Uh, there's a, a couple of the kids who are leaving TMT who have literally learned hundreds and hundreds of Bible verses over these last six or seven years. And we're so thankful what God's doing in their lives. Well, it's great to see you out on this beautiful Sunday. And if I've never met you before, I'm Pastor Tony. I'm the lead pastor here at Centennial. We're in week three of a series called The Choice. The first choice that we covered was fan or follower. And uh, many of our life groups, small groups, are going through that series right now. Uh, not a fan, and uh, really enjoying it. Last week, we looked at my strength or his strength. And this morning, we're going to talk about fear or faith. And our passage for today is in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bible or your tablet or your phone uh, or your scroll, just depending on which group you're in, okay? Uh, turn over there, Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> and Jesus had been explaining some things to his disciples. 
And now they were in a ship. And, and actually, Mark indicates that it was the evening. They were crossing the Sea of Galilee in a ship along with some smaller boats. And it was Jesus' idea to cross the lake. He said, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And we're going to read about it here in Luke chapter 8, starting verse number 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Now Jesus had a reason to cross the sea that night, which we'll see just a little bit later. But he was also using this opportunity to give his disciples a faith checkup. In Matthew 8 and Mark 4, the parallel passages to this event, we find that he asked his disciples, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? How is it that you have no faith? And the disciples were so afraid of the storm that they missed the whole point of the storm. You know, sometimes we're pleading with God to stop our circumstances or to change our situation when God actually has a purpose in the storm. And I want to move with you through the process of faith here this morning. You might remember that Faith, as it's defined in Hebrews in the Bible, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And let's get started with the simplicity of saving faith. That's the first part of our message today. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. The simplicity of saving faith. You know, believing that the sacrifice of Jesus is the only possible payment for sins, is only the beginning of the faith journey. Saving faith is a spiritual miracle that changes everything in your life. But in the age in which we live in 2018, I have to confess to you that I don't think that saving faith is really a huge intellectual leap. Okay, after all, we have the evidence of God's word. We have archaeological evidence of God's word. We have historical evidence of God's word. We have scientific evidence of God's word. Now, we have the eyewitness testimony of those who saw a risen Jesus after the crucifixion. And we can look back at the gospel and understand its significance. If you want to talk about some extreme faith, how about Abraham? who left everything he had ever known at the age of 75 years old to go to a country where he had never been, all because of the obedience of faith. He didn't have one written word of scripture to go on. How about Noah, who worked on the ark for almost 100 years, 
when everything screamed how insane it was to do so. But he believed what God had shown him. You know, it required a great deal of faith from Moses to forsake Egypt and lead the children of Israel across the Red Sea. David needed some extreme faith to face down Goliath with a sling and a stone. And Hebrews 11 says that these Old Testament saints all died in faith, not having received the promise. They never got to see the promise of Messiah come true. They looked ahead through faith. And we have only to look back through faith. And I, I think many of you understand that looking back at something is a totally different perspective than looking ahead to it. Right? There are things in your life that you've planned for and you've prepared for and uh, boy, you're excited about. And then it took place, the event happened or the situation happened or whatever it was. And then when you looked back at it, you saw it in a totally different light. Because they say that hindsight is 2020. Right? I said that like Barbara Walters, right? 2020. Some of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about. 2020. They changed that. It became some other news show after that. How many know 2020? Okay. All right. Is it on YouTube? You can find that one. How many know who Barbara Walters is? Okay. Right. I never know quite where I'm at with this. So I'm trying to figure it out. But you know, the Old Testament saints, they had some extraordinary faith. The future is full of unknowns. And that's why they're Faith is so remarkable to consider. New Testament faith is still important. It's still needed. It's still necessary. It's still a miracle. But we look back at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We look back at the gift of eternal life. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Saving faith is the foundation of the faith journey. And, and it holds amazing simplicity. You know, many of the people who reject Christ, especially in America in 2018, they really almost have to do it on purpose, right? They have to, in their hearts, think, I refuse to trust in Jesus. I don't want God in my life. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. We live in a postmodern age, and yes, we do. And yes, there are many worldviews that try to divert people from the truth. But I tell you this, when you walk outside and you see the design of this universe, you immediately understand inside your conscience that there has to be a designer. Your soul wants to know who that designer is. That's all intuitive. That's built into you. People from tribes all over the world know that there has to be a designer or a great spirit or a God or whatever title they give. But they go about finding him in many different ways. The Bible says that there is only one way to God, and his name is Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Knowing God is intuitive. It's built into the human soul. But believing in Jesus has to come through a witness. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
And what I'm saying is this. Old Testament people of faith had to look ahead to something that could only be known through hope. And people today can hear the story of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. That is the simplicity of saving faith. Right now we're praying for our daughter Sophie to understand salvation. Yes, she just turned five. And we need God to work a serious miracle in that girl's heart very soon because life's getting tough. But you know, we don't want to push it and we want to make sure she understands. But think of this. Salvation in Jesus Christ is so simple that a five or six-year-old human being can fully understand what he's done. That's the simplicity of saving faith. Many of you in this room trusted Jesus Christ when you were six, seven, eight years old, maybe 10 or 12 years old. And it's so simple. And sometimes we educate ourselves out of the simplicity in Christ. And we become so knowledgeable that we knowledge ourselves straight to hell. And scripture tells us that that's exactly what happens. That we try to get so many teachers and so much learning that we forget how simple the story of Jesus really is. And so there's saving faith. But then we see the assurance of secure faith. The assurance of secure faith. You know, some very sincere people that I know are constantly worried about losing their salvation. They're constantly worried. They're living under a cloud of fear and doubt that Jesus never wanted anybody to experience. Jesus talked many times about eternal life, everlasting life. John, the closest disciple to Jesus, said that we can know that we have eternal life. We don't have to doubt it. We don't have to question it. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to wait till we get there to see if what we did was good enough. He said, you can know you have eternal life through believing in Jesus. And God's word clearly says that we can't earn salvation. We can't buy salvation. We can't trade anything for salvation. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. But you know, when it comes to the principle of security, well-meaning people feel that even though salvation is by grace, security has to be kept by works. There are well-meaning people who've written books and say that security in Jesus has to be earned. Several years ago, I got this big package in the mail and it was heavy, and I thought, what in the world somebody send me now? And it's a book about this thick that explains why salvation is not eternal. I'll tell you this. I don't need a book this thick to explain why salvation is not eternal. All I need is hearing Jesus say one verse. He that believeth in me is not condemned. He's not condemned. He can never be condemned. And friends, listen, if I can't get salvation through works, then I can't lose salvation through works. If there's nothing I could do on my own to become a child of God, there's nothing I can do on my own to remain a child of God. My salvation is based upon the eternal attributes of God. And so 
is my security. If I'm saved by grace, then I'm also kept by grace. Jesus said, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. It shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And when the enemy tries to tell you something different because of your emotions and because of your feelings, go back to the promises Jesus gave. Because saving faith should grow into secure faith. If Jesus was strong enough to save me, then he's strong enough to keep me. And so we've got saving faith, and, and then we progress to secure faith. But then I want to look at the reality of serving faith. The reality of serving faith. Once we have saving faith and securing faith, it's really not much of a stretch for us to have a serving faith, a faith to actually walk in the ways of God. And most faith choices are based upon things that we already know. I don't have to get up every Sunday and say, I wonder if it's God's will for me to read my Bible or to go to church or to pray today. I don't have to wonder about that. I don't have to get up and say, I wonder if it's God's will for me to love my neighbor. Okay, now some of you, knowing your neighbor, I could understand why you question that and God's will. Uh, but we don't have to wonder if we're supposed to be a witness or tell other people about our Savior. There's no faith choice in these things. Okay, These aren't faith choices. These are obedience choices. And a serving faith is really the choice of, will I obey God or will I disobey God? Because there are a lot of people who've been saved by Jesus Christ and they understand that they have eternal life and they're secure in that, but they still refuse to obey Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? And sometimes we play these games in our head and we rationalize and we justify but it really just comes down to obedience or disobedience. Have you ever heard a little kid try to justify things? All right, they can come up with some incredible stories. Uh, several years ago, my wife showed me this video on YouTube. And it's a video of a little boy who's talking to his grandmother. And his grandmother is trying to correct him. And his grandmother's trying to, uh, try to get him into shape. And his grandmother's name is Alinda. And, uh, and uh, he keeps saying, listen to me, Linda. Listen to me. Listen to me, Linda. Listen to me. And he goes on another story about why what he did was right and how he could justify it. And he's like three years old. And if you haven't ever seen it, you should see it. It's hilarious. Listen to me, Linda. Listen to me. And he keeps telling her about why what he did is the right thing to do. And that's what we do with God. God has this obvious stuff for us to do. And we're like, well, but you don't understand, God. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand what the circumstances were. And what happens is we have blended biblical Christianity with worldly secular humanism. 
And we have combined the Christian ethic with the situation ethic of our society. And the situational ethic of our society says, I have to do what's right for me in the moment. Can I tell you that that's a bunch of hogwash? There is no such thing as what's right for me in the moment. There's what's right and there's what's wrong. And if you question between the two, he even gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And I will tell you that for every single thing in your life, according to the Holy Spirit and according to the Word of God, there is a right and there is a wrong for you. And you say, Pastor, you said that there's, there's good and there's bad and there's best. Exactly. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides you to what's best in your life. And what's best in your life is what's right for you to do. The Holy Spirit of God never disagrees with the Word of God. And when we know what we're supposed to do and we don't do it, James 4 says we're sinning against God. If you're in God's Word and you're under normal preaching, you know what's right and wrong. And the, the choice is whether or not you'll do it. It's not a knowing issue, it's a doing issue. There are times when we still aren't sure, and as I said, that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. Serving faith helps us to step out and actually live the word of God that we claim to believe. So there's a question, how much trust does it actually take to put feet to your faith and serve the Lord with your life? And I'll tell you how much it is. Faith must only outweigh fear. Right? Here's how it works. If your faith is even a little bit larger than your fear, you'll move forward. But if your fear is bigger than your faith, you'll be paralyzed in the inaction. You won't move forward into obedience in Christ. The children of Israel had finally walked down of Egypt. They'd been in bondage there for many, many, many years. And God had placed ten plagues on the Pharaoh. They'd gotten progressively worse. And the Egyptians uh, had been under this, just this horrible plague. And now, at number ten, the last plague, finally made Pharaoh allow the Israelites to leave. And so they followed Moses toward the promised land. And as they got away from Egypt a few days and they looked back, lo and behold, all the horses and all the chariots of Egypt were coming after them as they were encamped by the Red Sea. And the people began to snipe at Moses, since there were no graves in Egypt, you brought us out here to die? It would have been better to be slaves in Egypt than to die out here. And Moses tried to be strong, and he said, fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That sounds like a great phrase, doesn't it? Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. His voice went ringing out over the congregation. He said, listen, uh, you see what is going to happen. God's going to fight for you and he's going to drown the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And then you get to that next verse and this is in Exodus 14 and verse number 15. And God says to Moses, and God says to Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? 
Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. God says to Moses, what are you talking about this standstill stuff? Move forward. Faith moves forward. Fear stands still. You say, well, what about resting in Christ? That's a different thing. What we're talking about is on the journey of your life. When trouble comes, when fear is chasing you, when something is behind you or beside you, and you say, you know what? I'm paralyzed. I can't move. And God says, listen, don't cry unto me. You already know what to do. Get up and walk. Now think about this. Did God's message remove them from the present situation? No. Did God's message take away the fear from their hearts? No. But when Moses touched his walking stick on the Red Sea, and it parted to make a path of dry ground, they did walk across. Why'd they walk across? Because they had a little more faith than they had fear. And if you want to serve God, it's never promised that you won't be afraid. It's never promised that you won't go through problems or that you'll understand everything or that you'll ever, always like everything that goes on. But it is promised that if you walk by faith, Jesus will be with you. He will uphold you. He will bring his presence into the storm. And that brings us to this last part, the outlook of stormy faith. So we understand there's saving faith. There's a secure faith. There's a serving faith to walk forward, to obey what God's told us. But then we have the stormy faith. And faith in the storm is the greatest test of our Christianity. I would venture to guess that most people in this room today have already claimed saving faith. And you've had it, some, some of you, for many years. And a great number of those who have saving faith, you have no problem whatsoever believing that when Jesus says eternal life, he actually means it. And you have a secure faith. As we've already said, serving faith isn't much of a stretch from there. But when it comes to stormy faith, that's where the real test comes in. Is my faith good enough for the storm? And so they're out in the ship. They're crossing this lake at night, and, and Jesus goes to take a nap. Right? He, he just enjoyed the rock of the boat and kind of went back to the back, and he just uh, found a place where he could lie down, and he took a little nap, and then this monster storm arrived. Now, I want you to think about this. This was not a group of metrosexuals from New York City, okay? This was a group of rugged fishermen. These were tough guys, rough guys, okay? They had been out fishing their whole lives. They had seen a whole lot of storms. They had seen their fair share of wind and rain, but this storm was so big that it filled the boat with water. And they didn't know what to do. And so they went and shook Jesus awake. And they're crying out, we're going to die. We're going to die. We perish. 
Hey, we're about to die. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. And Jesus kind of, clearly, they're focused on the intensity of the storm. And when struggles come, Jesus wants us to focus on him instead of the situation. It doesn't mean the situation goes away. He wants us to focus on him. Faith in the storm leads to spiritual maturity. The trial of your faith worketh patience. Trials are there to shape us and mold us for God's purposes. And we don't really like trials and we don't like to move forward into trials. But if we get caught up looking at the trials, we miss the whole point. When all we can do is ask Jesus to get rid of the situation, we miss the lesson. And none of the disciples woke Jesus up and said, Hey, Master, I have a curious question. Is there something you want us to learn in this storm? Nobody asked them. They said, We're going to die. We're going to die. We perish. Hey, wake up. And when you think you're going to die, it's hard to focus on Jesus. That's how it is with us. And we don't have time to learn anything right now. We're in a life or death situation. The disciples had no power to stop the storm. But they figured out, you know what? We have Jesus in the boat. We have to tell him what's going on. And I love the fact that Jesus rose up and rebuked the wind. And it was immediately calm. And then he said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? It's such an odd question after what they had gone through. Where is your faith? In Matthew 14, we find another situation that happened about a year later. The disciples were once again in a boat in the middle of a storm. And the waves were massive. And the thing was, this time Jesus was not with them. The storm was huge and the waves were about to overtake them. And about three in the morning, they looked out across these massive waves. And here comes Jesus walking on the tops of the waves. And it's just... I want to see this when I get to heaven, how this actually looked. In real life, how did it look for him to come walking across the waves? I mean, from crest to crest, he's just walking on the waves. And they look out, and they thought it was a spirit. They thought it was a ghost. They didn't know what to think. And Jesus yells out to them. And I love this. Right in the middle of the storm, he's walking on the waves. And he says, hey, guys, be of good cheer. It's just me. Don't be afraid. Everything's good. They're looking at each other like, what? What is going on? Is that really him? Is it really Jesus? And you can just imagine what's going through their minds. They're in this boat close to death. And Jesus is like, hey, right here. Focus on me. Things are good. Be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Listen to me, when you are in the worst storm of your life, Jesus, what he wants you to do, he doesn't want you to look at the waves. 
He wants you to look at him. Because he's standing there walking on the water with all the power of the Most High God saying to you, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. You say, Pastor, you don't know the situation. I know this. Jesus does. And he is not surprised by what's happening to you. And it doesn't mean that he wants you to go through pain. It means that he's going through the pain with you. It means that he wants you to have the joy that only he can give in the very worst circumstance of your life. Some of you have already been there. And you've had the longest night of your life. Or the longest hour of your life. Or the longest day of your life. There's nowhere to look. Because the waves overwhelm you. And Jesus is standing there saying, guys, hey, it's okay, it's just me. I'm right here. I'm with you. And Peter, because he always had something going on in his mind that was different than everybody else, he shouts back out over the waves, Jesus, if it's really you, ask me to get out of the boat. Now, Peter was never accused of having the highest IQ in the disciple group, okay? (laughs) Never accused of this. Accused of many things, but not that. Jesus, hey, if it's really you, ask me to come out on the water with you. I love Jesus' answer. Jesus didn't say, you know what, Peter, if you really want to do that, that's a great idea. He didn't say, hey, Peter, maybe you shouldn't do it right now because there's a big storm going on. I don't know if you saw that. He said, come. That's all he said. One word, come. So Peter, the waves are pitching and tossing. The lake is crazy. It's the worst storm they've ever been in. And he crawls over the edge of the boat, steps down on the water, And starts walking. Peter. Walking. On top of the water. And he walks toward the water. And he's looking at Jesus. And Jesus says, come on. You're doing great. Good to see you. Way to go. And then Peter realized. What he had done. Some of you have had a get out of the boat moment before. Because you stepped out of in something in faith bigger than you've ever done before. You said, I've committed to go on, on this mission trip. Or I've committed to serve in this ministry. Or I've committed to give uh, toward a certain project. And then a few minutes later or a week later or a few days later, you think to yourself, what in the world have I done? Why would I do that? Or better yet, you tell somebody close to you what you've done. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your sister or your friend. You say, I made this incredible faith decision to do this. And the other person just looks at you like, what have you done? Are you crazy? 
You think of all the other disciples in the boat. They're like, Peter, oh, no, Peter, don't do it. What are you doing? Peter, come back here. We can still catch you. Grab that rope. We're going to have to get him. You know, when you really step out in faith, there are very, very few people who even begin to understand what you've done. And none of those other disciples understood what Peter was doing because they didn't have the faith to step out there. And Peter was just dumb enough to believe that Jesus really meant what he said. And oh, that for us, it were a daily experience that we believe that Jesus just means what he says. Yesterday, we were out back looking at the broken irrigation pipe. And uh, my wife called and said, uh, the big prayer request just came in and a little Marcham girl, and she told me the story about how she was bit by the dog, and they thought at that time that she might lose her eye. And she said, uh, we're praying at home, and uh, Sophie prayed. Now, mind you, I already told you, she's, she is an unregenerate little girl. Right? She's on the devil's side right now. <laughs> but she prayed for her friend. And when she prayed for Mary Grace, she just prayed like a child, believing that God can really fix her friend. And what I hate is that we become these spiritual adults who have all of the Christian life figured out and we sit our rumps in the boat while the people with childlike faith get out and walk toward Jesus. Because we are too logical to have that kind of faith anymore. And even though there's a horrible thing in our lives, we pray, but we don't even really believe our own prayers. And we don't ask big anymore. And we don't step out anymore. And we don't have big faith. We have in the boat faith. Jesus, you come to me and change the situation. I'm not going to you. And I love to hear a child like faith. I just love it. And even sometimes when I hear it, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, God, you probably aren't ever going to do that. Because I'm an in-the-boat guy, too. So Peter steps out. And all the guys behind him are like, oh, what is he doing? Guy's crazy. And they start watching, and Peter's walking. And they think, man, he's got, look, look at Peter. And they're all shouting at each other, look at Peter, this is incredible. Why? Because people with weak faith still love to see strong faith. And they cheer it on and they love it. And then Peter realized what he's done and he has this oh my moment. And he looks around and he figures out, uh-oh, the wind is still going. And waves that were much, much taller than he carried him up and down and he saw the waves and he began to sink. And as he began to sink, he looked at Jesus. 
and he began to drop out of sight, Jesus grabbed his hand. And he said, Peter, why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? As we finish today, I want to help you with something in your life. If you've ever stepped out big for God and then sunk out of sight, it's because you doubted after the fact what your faith had already decided. You doubted your decision after the fact. And you began to beat yourself up. And I want you to know, even in the storms, we have a choice. Our choice is fear or faith. As we finish today, here's our big truth. Fear toward one thing often reflects faith in another. But there's always a choice. And our fears reveal our faith. You know, if we're afraid of what people think of us, it's evident that our faith is grounded in humanity. If we're afraid to commit to ministry or to giving, it's evident that our faith is resting in ourselves. If we're afraid of leaving outcomes up to God, it's evident that we think we can control outcomes ourselves. And our fears reveal our faith. We all have fears. One of my favorite stories from the early church takes place in Acts chapter 4. The group of believers had been testifying about Jesus throughout the city of Jerusalem. And the ruling council called the Sanhedrin called them in for a hearing. And they told them, don't you talk about this Jesus anymore. Don't even mention his name. Don't teach anymore in his name. And they threatened them, sent them away. Well, the believers gathered together to have a prayer meeting. And that prayer meeting is significant for what they didn't pray for. When they got together that night, they didn't pray for God to take away the opposition. They didn't. They didn't pray for God to take away the threats. They said, God, you made everything. You're sovereign. You aren't surprised by what's happening to us. You know they've threatened us. And here's a quote from Acts 4.29. Here's what they said. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They didn't say, God, take us out of the storm. They said, God, help us to shine as lights in the storm. That is impressive faith because certainly they were afraid. It was going to get worse from there. And yet they moved forward by faith. And today's faith challenge is this. Storms are never an accident. They're never an accident. God always has a purpose for them. And if you wonder, well, why did Jesus want to cross the sea at night anyway? Because Jesus had an appointment to make. Jesus had an appointment with a maniac who was possessed by demons. And he had to go change his life. And Jesus had a reason for going through the storm. And God has a purpose for the storm. He works all things together for good to those who love him. And I want you to know this. Whether you're in a storm that was self-created. 
because of horrible choices or a series of horrible choices. Maybe a complete failure on your part. Maybe it's a God-engineered storm. Maybe it's a, a situational storm. And God works all things together for good to those who will trust him. God can pick up the broken pieces of your life and do something miraculous with them. As we finish this morning, I want to do a little faith checkup before we pray. If you'd be willing right now, I want you to go inside of your own heart and take an honest look right now. Let me ask you the first checkup question, all right? Do you have saving faith that Jesus came to die on the cross and pay the price for your sins? Second question. Do you have secure faith that salvation in Jesus is for certain and that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Question three. Do you have serving faith to move forward with what you already know, with what God has already revealed? And you should know this, by the way. Until you move forward on the general things God has already revealed, he's not going to reveal anything more specific. There's a lot of Christians who say, if God would just show me what to do, I'd do it. And the thing is, he's already shown you what to do, and you haven't done it. And he's not going to show you the next step until you take this step. And then there's stormy faith. Maybe you're going through it right now. Look to Jesus. He loves you. He has something important for you in this season of your life. And this season of your life may be the season when you grow closest to him. You know, the season that most people hate is winter. Right? How many of the season you most dislike is winter? All right, that's pretty good. How many of you hate summer? You don't like summer? Okay, a couple of people. Uh, how many of you are spring haters? Spring haters? Okay, how many of you are fall haters? <clears throat> okay, some of you hate every season, so you really need counseling. <laughs> the majority of people probably, or the, the greatest number, winter is your least favorite season. And it's that way spiritually too. Because there are seasons in our life where we rev up for God and things are going great and we're moving forward in our faith. But in the winter, we feel like we can't even communicate with God and we don't know what he's doing and how is he going to take care of this and why isn't he taking care of that? And we're like Joseph in the dungeon in Egypt wondering, where is God when it hurts for me? Where is God in my life right now? And that's the season where your faith grows the most. That's the season where God gives you the perspective to be able to say, you meant evil unto me, but God meant it for good. And your situation and your circumstance may seem like it's pushing you towards something really bad. And it's time to look unto Jesus. Let's bow together this morning. No matter what kind of faith need you have, let's bring it before God. God, we bring these needs to you because you are the one in charge of the storm. You know why the storm's there. You know what you're trying to affect in our lives. 
And you're the only one who can shape and move the storm. And so I pray that you would work in each heart today. Whatever the faith need would be. Move us towards you. Help us to make big faith decisions based upon who you are and not our circumstances. We thank you for all these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.